Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're listening to WNYC's podcast, featuring the best 2018 midterms coverage from our talk shows and our award-winning local newsroom. Keep in mind, some segments may be edited for length. You can find the full shows on your favorite podcast app. This is The Takeaway. I'm Amy Walter. If you've ever seen a Trump rally, it typically starts off something like this. From the Rocky Mountains to the Great Plains, the people of Montana love our country, love our country so much. They honor our values, and you always respect our great American flag. You see what's happening. President Trump touts strong economic growth among his biggest accomplishments. We have the best economy in history. The economy's doing better than ever, he says. Jobs are returning to the country. Our coal miners are back to work. Other countries are taking us seriously. And America is being respected again. And tax cuts were a big win for Americans. America is winning again. But then, within a few minutes, he moves on to other topics. Like this. Kim Jong-un said some terrific things about me. And this. We're paying for NATO. We're paying this massive percentage of cost. We're protecting Europe. And this. How do you impeach somebody that's doing a great job, that hasn't done anything wrong? Trump isn't exactly uh, disciplined when it comes to messaging. Most presidents would do nothing but talk up this economy. This president, however, talks and tweets about lots and lots and lots of other stuff. In the first 330 days of his presidency, an analysis from Public Radio's Marketplace found, Trump churned out over 2,300 tweets. But just 417 of them, or about 18 percent, were about the economy. And despite the rosy economic outlook, Trump's approval ratings are decidedly not rosy. Plus, Democrats lead by an average of eight points on the question of who voters want in control of Congress next year. We're going to focus on two big questions. One, everyone says the economy's doing great. Objectively, is that true? And are regular Americans feeling it? And if it is true, why aren't the Republicans and the president better positioned going into the midterms? Yeah, the economy's doing very well. I mean, particularly compared to what it had been doing in the first few years after the recession ended. That's Jim Tankersley, who covers economic and tax policy for The New York Times. Growth is stronger. We're starting to see, you know, a a little bit of um, wage growth for certain people in the economy. But there is this problem where it's still not broadly shared. If you're a typical worker um, in the middle class, you see costs rising about as fast as your income is rising right now. And so there's not this big wage boost that Republicans had hoped for uh, in the election. At the same time, people are feeling pretty good about the economy. Optimism is very high, particularly, again, compared to the time after the recession. So it's a good time, you would think, to be running in this economic environment if you're an incumbent. And yet, Jim, the president's approval ratings are under 50 percent, in some cases under 45 percent. Republicans in Congress have very low approval ratings, and their uh, Democrats have a significant advantage on the question of who voters want to see take control of Congress. So why do you see that this good economy is not translating into a political benefit for Republicans? Well, there's a few things. Some of them are 
um, peculiar to our time right now, and others are more historical. The first is, it turns out the economy historically is not a great indicator of how an incumbent party is going to do in midterm elections. For every 1998, when Democrats actually picked up seats uh, in a midterm with a great economy, there is something like 2006, when unemployment was very low and Republicans got killed in the midterms. So it's not a guarantee much a much better indicator is the president's approval rating and and like you said that is not very strong uh, historically uh, for a midterm right now the other thing though is that what we see this year in particular is this polarization around the economy. The economy has become almost a partisan issue. Republicans are really, really happy and confident in the economy. Democrats are really unhappy with the economy. Even the people, the Democrats who the statistics would suggest are doing well, say that they are unhappy with the economy. And that appears to be sort of the economy has become a reflection of partisan feelings about Trump. Independents do feel kind of happy about it, but they don't love Republican economic policies. They're not huge fans of the tax law, for example. And so all these things add up to actually way less of a wind than I think Republicans were hoping for uh, entering this year from the economy as they head into the uh, actual voting. Let's just play hypothetical for a second. If the president talked a lot more about the economy and a lot less in his tweeting and other things about I don't know, all the many things he tweets and rants about, that maybe things would be better for him on that front, that people, if you focus people more on the economy and less on Mueller and everything else, it would come back to him? It's really possible that that's true. And I certainly know a lot of smart Republicans in Washington who wish that he would just talk every day about what unemployment is and how people are seeing more money in their paychecks from the tax law and things like that. But On the flip side, we can judge from Republicans' own actions how important they think that these issues are. And while they are talking about the economy in their ads, they're also talking a lot about immigration and, you know, very partisan kind of divisive issues that you wouldn't necessarily expect, wedge issues that you wouldn't expect uh, when a, a party is trying to run just on economic success. And so that suggests to me that their base is not that fired up by these economic messages. And a couple of smart folks have said to me, well, this is it's much easier to run against a bad economy than it is to run on a good economy, particularly in a midterm. And especially at a time when people are, are feeling maybe positive about it writ large, but less positive about it in their own pocketbooks, that's a harder sell. And so yeah, I think that the president probably would be doing himself some favors, be talking more about the economy and less about Mueller. On the other hand, I'm not sure that his approval ratings would be astronomical if all he did every day was talk about jobs. Can you give us a, a takeaway about how Americans are processing this economy in 2018? Among Democratic and Republican business owners I talk to, there is this sort of sense of, hey, the government's not out to get me anymore. Fair or not, there was this real sense during the Obama era that regulations were just piling up and piling up and piling up and that the government was trying to get in the way of business. And so even if it hasn't actually translated into hiring yet, a lot of business owners have told me, we just feel like the wind is no longer in our faces. On the other hand, when you talk to workers, there is still a lot of folks who, even when they express optimism, say, hey, my job is still not appreciably better. I still don't have the benefits that I want. I'm really worried about healthcare costs. I hear so much from 
um, workers about the worry about paying their next health care premium, their next bill. And so these are actual anxieties about the economy that the you know robust growth so far is not addressing. Jim, is there a gold standard number that folks like you look to to say this is the most important number to appreciate and understand how robust the economy is or isn't? Is it the unemployment rate, which we in the media spend a lot of time looking at? Is it how the stock market's doing? Is it GDP? You know, what do you all look to to say empirically this is a sign of economic health? That is such a great question. And I think you have to look at all of the indicators you just mentioned. I probably would weight unemployment and GDP well above the stock market uh, as an indicator. But I think there are other indicators that we need to look at, in particular, take-home pay, the inflation. I mean, when you adjust wages for inflation, they're, um, they're not going up very fast. And there's a lag on this one, but the one that I look for every year that's coming out later this month is the Census Bureau releases a snapshot of median income growth for a typical household, which basically means if you're just the average American household out there in the economy, how much did your take-home pay go up last year? How much did your income go up last year? And that did not show any uptick at all during the um, first several years of the Obama administration and then finally started to grow at the end. And it'll be for 2017 when we get it later this month. But if we see a real jump in that, that suggests to me that the economy is starting to work more for middle class families. If you don't see much of a jump, that suggests that the economy still is mostly delivering for the people at the top and not for the people in the middle. So when we hear folks especially on the left, Bernie Sanders, who say, look, the economy is simply only working for the people at the very top. Is he is he right about that? That's actually, I mean, with, with no um, disrespect to Senator Sanders, that's wrong. Actually, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of income growth at the bottom, ironically, because of policies uh, in, in large part that Senator Sanders supports, like increased state minimum wages have really pushed up wages for minimum wage workers around the country. And the hot labor market does seem to be creating a little more competition for those entry-level workers, which means they're getting paid a bit more. So it's still not as much as those workers would like, and I think a lot of policymakers would like to see at the bottom. But there is real growth there. It's not just at the top. That said, there has been absolutely a lot of gain uh, for people, particularly people who own stocks, which are the wealthiest Americans. So when we talk about the stock market, doing well, that's really translating to mostly very wealthy Americans. And yeah, there's been real gains in that. And certainly the tax bill had a lot of gains in it for uh, wealthy Americans and for business owners and shareholders of big corporations. So those folks are not, you know, your typical Bernie Sanders worker that he's thinking of when he talks about the economy. Jim Tankersley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Jim Tankersley covers economic and tax policy for the New York. For so many black people, the whiz feels like home. The new stage revival has Broadway buzzing. And as it gears up for a national tour, we'll consider the impact this story continues to have 50 years down the yellow brick road. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on the next Notes from America as we pay tribute to The Wiz. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Times. Listeners, we put this to you. We asked you if you're feeling the economy strong and whether Democrat, Republican or independent, your responses were 
all over the place. I'm a Democrat, and I feel the economy is doing great for the big companies, corporations, and the uber-rich. But as an hourly worker who makes around 35000 a year, I live check to check and just hope for the best. Hi, I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. My name is Damani. And though I'm not a big supporter of Trump, I think the economy is looking a little better. No, I don't know if it's his doing or not. At the moment, I'm a Democrat, but I'm leaning toward a liberal. I don't know. Things are still up in the air. Hi, I'm Kitsy Parrish from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm an independent. I've hesitantly been enjoying the benefits of the current economic situation, but I also fear the impact on our national finances because our president is unstable and unqualified to lead our nation, making enemies at every turn. Hi, my name is Nancy. I'm a Republican from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I believe the economy seems very bumpy. This seems very risky. Call us at 8778-MY-TAKE to weigh in or tweet us at The Takeaway. We're down under 3% uh, in unemployment rate for the state, but we're not really seeing that showing up uh, in the pockets of uh, working Iowans. Wages remain very stagnant. Colin Gordon is a senior research consultant at the Iowa Policy Project. Colin's seeing a trend that's playing out in many parts of the country. Yes, the numbers say the economy's doing well, but lots of ordinary Americans, including Trump supporters in a red state like Iowa, aren't necessarily feeling the benefits of a strong economy. According to Cullen, there are a number of factors keeping wages down. Workers lack bargaining power. We're down to under 5% of union members in the private sector in Iowa. We've uh, undergone a year, a year and a half of pretty brutal attacks on public sector unions. So we've seen teacher pay fall. We've had the state legislature roll back uh, local increases in the minimum wage and uh, bar municipalities and counties from raising it locally. Isn't the economic theory that the lower the unemployment, the more pressure there is, though, on private employers in order to get talent to have to pay them more? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's one part of it. But I think you also, in that context, workers need to have, you know, some, what I would characterize as bargaining power. One thing we're seeing, particularly in rural Iowa, is employment is really dominated by single employers, a large meatpacking plant, a Walmart, a grocery store. So there's not a lot of competition for labor. So while the unemployment rate may be low, you really just have one large, low-wage firm setting the standard. So uh, if this were 20 or 30 years ago, are you saying that even in those smaller rural communities, the meatpacking factory would have uh, a union there? And in that case, the workers might be seeing a, a bigger benefit in their paychecks? Yeah, exactly. I mean, 40 years ago, uh, workers in the meatpacking industry made about 20% more than the median wage. And now they make about 20% less because the unions are gone. What about the impact of the tariffs on the farm economy and how much of the issue of the uh, Iowa economy, the, the lack of regular Iowans seeing benefits in their paycheck is related to the tariff issue? I don't think we've really seen the sort of threat to commodity prices and the tariff issue uh, show up yet in the lives of most working Iowans. The agricultural sector, you know, where stuff is actually grown, is not particularly labor-intensive. Not a lot of people work on farms anymore. So most of it is in the processing side, uh, ethanol, meatpacking, and that sort of thing. There, the unemployment rate 
you know, suggests that the demand is still there for those products. But again, the uh, the wage situation is still pretty dismal. So if you talk to Iowans, do they recognize this disconnect between the news about a booming economy and the fact that their dollar doesn't seem to go as far as they think it should? You know, I think people recognize that the boom is in the aggregate numbers. It's in the stock market. It's in the unemployment rate. Uh, but it's not in people's pockets. And you know, not only are wages very slow to grow, but the costs that most working families face of putting their kids through college, of paying for health care, are increasing pretty steadily. Is there any sense of who they blame for this? Is this something that they think is um, an issue that politicians should be taking care of? That's hard to offer a general answer to because I think people have different ways of spreading the blame around. I mean, certainly a lot of attention has been aimed at our most recent uh, legislature, which rolled back the minimum wage and uh, attacked collective bargaining in the public sector. Um, but that really just exaggerated trends that uh, go back a long way and, and really cross uh, partisan lines. So I think in some respects, there there's a sense that government has failed us. But in some respects, I think there's just a sense that the that the market has failed us and, and uh, government is unwilling or incapable of uh, mopping up the damage. Colin Gordon is a senior research consultant at the Iowa Policy Project. Hey, podcast listeners, it's been another crazy week in Washington. So I sat down with CNN's Dana Bash and Phil Rucker from The Washington Post to sort through and better understand everything from the Kavanaugh hearings to the anonymous op-ed penned in The New York Times. Check your podcast feed and download that conversation. champions the booming economy and tax reform as their two main accomplishments. And while some Republicans are running ads like this... President Trump and Greg GM Forte cut our taxes, and now America's economy is booming. Unemployment is down, wages are rising, and the middle-class tax cut is making all the difference. By and large, economic messaging has been pretty quiet in commercials on the campaign trail during this primary season. The economy, believe it or not, is actually taking a back seat to other issues in this election cycle. Erica Franklin Fowler is an associate professor of government at Wesleyan University and the co-director of the Wesleyan Media Project, where she and her colleagues track campaign advertising. On the Democratic side, health care is front and center. On the Republican side, it's more complicated. 28% of the advertising in August in federal races did mention taxes, and it was the top Republican issue. Um, it falls second overall once you combine in the Democratic airings. But it's not a central focus of Republican ads in the same way that health care is a central focus of the Democratic ads, because Republicans tend to be splitting their time between discussion of taxes, immigration, and then health care is the third. 
And is there any way that you are able to break out those discussion of taxes if it's more specific to the tax bill itself or is it a tax on Democrats who they say are going to raise your taxes? Yes, exactly. So we we track mentions of taxes generally and then we also look for, you know, more explicit references to the tax bill that was passed in 2017 and taxes overall comprise 21% of all airings. Um, mentions of tax reform are only 6%. Republicans are talking about it more than Democrats are. Democrats um, are talking about it in 3% of their airings. Erica, can you help us understand if this is sort of normal that you have um, Republicans in control of all three branches of government? The economy, by objective matters, is doing very, very well. Is it normal to see that party not gushing over the economy and their advertising? I think it is somewhat surprising. I really, uh, all else equal, would expect them to be touting the economy. Economics tend to be the sort of bread and butter of campaign issues. Um, And certainly both parties are talking about jobs, but the job discussion is taking, you know, is even further down the list. So I do think it's somewhat surprising. I find the contrast in tax reform interesting to look at the comparison of Obamacare and the Democrats. After the Affordable Care Act passage, uh, Democrats really almost ran away from the ACA. The closest that they came to even touting their legislative victory was along the lines of, I stood up to insurance companies. So we are seeing Republicans talk about tax reform more than we saw Democrats talk about health reform. But still, having said that, I also think it's really interesting that they're not talking about it more, especially given the economic conditions. And why do you think that is? I think that in part, average Americans may not see the connection between a booming economy and their own economic conditions, and that may have something to do with it. I think also some perceptions of you know the bill and the um, piece of legislation favoring the wealthy in particular may not play as well. And I do think, you know, just the identity politics that we're seeing among the Republican Party is making it a little um, sort of siphoning attention away from bread and butter economic issues. There are a couple of things going on in this relationship between the nation's economy and vote choice. That's Lynn Vavrick, Hoffenberg Chair of American Politics at UCLA and a contributor to the Upshot at The New York Times. In 2014, she wrote a piece based on her academic research saying that the state of the economy is more important in a presidential election year, but not so much in a midterm election year. It isn't so much that the state of the economy is irrelevant in these midterm elections. It's just that it comes into people's vote choice in a different way. It comes through presidential approval or through their assessment of the president, which is has historically been important in midterm elections. So the economy is getting in there. It's just getting in there by way of this other thing people are thinking about. So if you think the economy is doing well, theoretically, you think that the president's doing well. Theoretically. Theoretically. So help us explain. We have a, a president right now, depending on which polls you're looking at, somewhere in the low to mid 40s. And yet in most polls that I look at that ask the question, how do you think the president's doing on handling the economy? He's usually a little bit better, maybe in some cases, four or five points better in terms of his approval rating on the economy than job approval. So 
what's happening here? Is it, are people now not translating economy into how they feel about the president? Or is it that they are translating it, but this is as good as it's going to get for him? There are a couple of things going on in this relationship between the nation's economy and vote choice, whether it's in presidential or midterm years. There's the objective reality of how the nation's economy is doing. That is robustly related to presidential outcomes, and it is related to midterm outcomes through presidential approval. But when we say that we're talking about people's assessments of the economy, so survey questions that ask people, in the last year, do you think things have gotten better, gotten worse, or stayed the same, or some variant of a question like that, that's a very different thing than the objective economic growth or the unemployment rate. When people are answering those survey questions, they are bringing their partisanship to bear on the answer. So they're answering those questions through a partisan lens. The second interesting thing about this relationship between the economy and vote choice or vote outcomes is that the strong relationships almost always exist between the nation's economy, not people's personal finances. So not your pocketbook, not your household income, but your view of whether the country is growing, uh, whether the economy is shrinking overall. And so when we think about what's filtering into presidential approval in the midterms and then being expressed in the midterm vote choice, it's the nation's economic health, not people's personal finances. Okay. So based on that, we know that the nation's economic health, according to the data out there, looks really good. Whether we look at GDP growth or unemployment, the stock market, consumer confidence. And again, the president's overall approval rating, though, doesn't seem to reflect the optimism that the economy is showing. So here's another big, important wrinkle. Over the last, let's say, 10 years or so, what has happened is the assessments of the president, the assessments of the nation's economy, these things have really started to separate by party. So when Barack Obama was president, Republicans did not think the economy was growing. When Donald Trump is president, Democrats do not think the economy is growing. And the same thing with presidential approval. Republicans really like Republican presidents. Democrats don't. Democrats really liked Barack Obama. Republicans didn't. So there's much more of a gap. So in this sense, I I remember back in 1998, Bill Clinton had an approval rating somewhere around 60 percent. The economy was doing very well at that time. In fact, there were a lot of people making comparisons between the state of economy back in the late 90s and the state of the economy now in terms of its strength. Are you saying that we're not going to be able, at least in modern times, we can't see another Bill Clinton-type approval rating because of the partisanship, that that partisanship wasn't as strong in 1998 as it is now? I think all else equal, that's probably right. Now, if there were some other international or national crisis or moment, you might see some movement. But all else equal, day to day, the way that partisanship is playing into people's evaluations, 
even of things that are not particularly political, is much stronger today than it was in that period in the 1990s um, or the 1980s that you were just talking about. So if we are looking then at whether the economy is going to be a positive factor for Republicans, as they say it is, when you talk to Republicans over and over again, they say, we feel confident about how we're going to do in these midterm elections because of the strength of the economy. Where we should look then is to how independents feel about the state of the economy more than the overall perception about the economy. I think that that's a good way to slice this. If you're trying to answer the question, is the state of the economy going to play a role in these midterm elections and what role will it play, I don't think it's a bad idea to look at the people who don't have a partisan attachment, who may swing, who may be persuadable, and to see what do they think. When you look at data on how independents are evaluating the economy, so not so much the president's performance on the economy, but just do they think things have gotten better in the last year, gotten worse, or stayed the same, they're saying they think things have gotten better. And I think for me, that's a moment that I think is important. It's a result I think is important. So we had a lot of discussion back in 2016 about economic anxiety voters who, even though the general data out there, the GDP and unemployment figures suggested that the economy was doing well, that there were many, many voters who had felt left behind, whose wages had not been keeping up for the last 20 years, and that they were voting not based on what the general economic conditions were, but their own personal economic conditions. So can you help us understand how this works? Like, at what point do people's own personal experiences drive their vote? And at what point is it just a sense about the broader influence of the economy? The 2016 election is a little bit complicated on this topic of the economy. And there are a lot of different answers. One way to think about it is there are lots of good survey questions about people's happiness levels. If you look at those kinds of markers, happiness, satisfaction, you'll see that in general, this period doesn't look much different than any other period. You can see a real dip in those time series during the global financial crisis. But people's happiness levels, satisfaction with life has recovered in 2016. But yet, as you're saying, we heard all of this talk during the campaign about economic anxiety, I can't get ahead, I can't get a job I want or that I like. And some of that in 2016 is a reflection of what the candidates are saying. You have Donald Trump out there talking about jobs and bringing jobs back to the country. Now, his conversation on that in 2016 is laced or um, you might say refracted through identity issues. And so he's almost always saying, I'm going to bring these jobs back either because they've been shipped over to some other country and so other people, not Americans, are taking those jobs or other people, not Americans, have come to America to take those jobs away from you. So he is he is interlacing conversations about identity and what it means to be an American with the economic 
anxiety and jobs message that he's delivering. And so that complicates what it means when you hear voters in 2016 say it's about the economy. Lynn, this feels like we do. It's very difficult then when we hear the term, uh, it's the economy, stupid. What you're saying is it's more complicated than that, right? There is this conventional wisdom that all elections are really driven at their core by the state of the economy. If things are going well, the incumbent party hangs on. If things aren't going well, the incumbent party loses. It's not any more complicated than that. But it sure seems like in general, this is more complicated. And with this president, especially, it's much more complicated than that. Layered on top of that is the fact that that's not enough. If you are that incumbent party in a growing economy, you have to talk about it. And you have to remind voters to reward your party for that performance. And there are a handful of cases where candidates of incumbent parties, presidential candidates, talked about a lot of things and didn't focus as much on that economic performance as they might have. And they don't win those elections. They lose very, very narrowly. So, Are you talking about like 2000? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) 2016? Yeah, perhaps. In 2016, the person doing all of the talking, not all of the talking, but a good bit of the talking about jobs and the economy is Donald Trump, who is not a member of the incumbent party in that year during a growing economy. And so he defines, redefines that conversation to be about immigration and globalism and takes the basic message away from the Democratic Party. So if you're the Republican Party right now and you're hoping that the strong economy is going to help you, you look at the president's job approval ratings and you go, "Uh uh-oh, his job approval ratings certainly don't match what we would like to see for an incumbent president in a good economy. What can they do? Is is their talking about the economy on the trail enough to make up for the fact that the president's overall approval ratings are under 50 percent in some districts, significantly under 50 percent? I think it's hard. And I leave it to the professionals who, uh, you know, really think about how to square the circle there in terms of how you could have a party campaign at a national level that sort of carved off the person who is arguably the leader of the party at the moment. Lynn Vavarek, thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. My pleasure. Here in Washington, we ask ourselves whether the president's approval rating vis-a-vis the economy is a chicken and egg kind of situation. Given how well the economy is doing, shouldn't the president be polling higher? Or is he polling as high as he is because the economy is doing so well? The best answer I've heard about how to interpret the economy's impact on a president's job approval is to think of a good economy as providing a president an opportunity to improve his standing with voters. It's not a guarantee that he will. Other stuff that he does or doesn't do also plays a large role in perceptions of the president. It's not an either-or. So in other words, it's the economy, stupid. Except when it isn't. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Amy Walter, and this is The Takeaway. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. 
If you want more, visit wnyc.org slash election.